when I was single, and I know Chris has talked about this too, um, making a list, you mm. know, f- an ideal list of what you want in a partner. I think it can be a really beautiful tool, you know, just to kind of get very clear on what's important to you and what you're looking for in someone. I'm curious, like what your thoughts are. I know you talk about it in the book um, and maybe how we can reframe this, like making a manifestation list. Yeah. Uh you know, I think that sometimes we ca- get caught up in writing a list, whether it's in your head or on paper of, you know, they need to make this amount of money. They have to be, you know, in this profession or a height requirement. And I I don't think that that's healthy because what it does is like, it makes you think that you have this kind of type, right? And what will happen is you might meet someone and they fit these things and then you ignore all of the other evidence that this person might not be the right fit for you because you're like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this person and here you are. Um, And I think it could really make us miss out on opportunities of meeting people who could be the right fit for you. They've done research that shows that the people that um, you actually end up with don't look like anything of that list, right? When you're writing that list, that's a very cognitive process. But when it comes to actual love, that's a heart process. It's a feeling process. So I think it's more important to maybe write down a list and visualize how do you want to feel? Um, And the packaging of of how your partner is going to look like might be very different, but it's important that you feel that sense of peace that you talked about, Mm -hmm. that sense of calm. And I think, you know, when you don't know what healthy love is, especially if you didn't have a healthy model modeled for you growing up, you think that this anxiety or this up and down or intensity, especially when you're, you know, reading fairy tales and watching all these movies, you think, oh, that's love, but that's not love. Love is actually calm. It might be even boring sometimes, but it's not this thing that keeps you guessing all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so true and powerful. And, um, yeah, it's, a, it's such an interesting perspective because I know so many people are list makers and are list lovers and I've had lists and I've had I've not had lists, um, but I haven't dated in a long time. But when I did have a list, it was something that I was really adhering to. And I love the point about you'll miss at times some of the things that might be glaring, you know, glaring for you. Um, I, what I loved about the book, too, is, is the perspective on like your brain and what's actually happening chemically in your brain when you're going through a breakup. So I'd love to talk a little bit about like what's happening in the brain. Yeah, they've actually done studies um, scanning the brain after a separation. And what they found was the part of the brain that's activated is the same part of the brain as a drug user fiending for their next fix. So you're literally in withdrawal. Um, something to understand is when you're with someone, you have neural pathways that have been wired together after a breakup or divorce, even though on a cognitive level, you know, it's over your body doesn't, it's in a state of shock and it's used to getting dopamine and all these feel good chemicals from this person. So after the separation, you're going to still crave it, but you have to consider your ex like they're a drug dealer and you're feeding for a fix. And when you're craving, you know, rereading old text messages or, you know, checking their Instagram stories with your Finsta, that's really <laughs> not because they're awesome. It's because your brain's craving dopamine and it gets a hit. Even if you are, you know, see them, you know, drinking wine on the beach with some new hottie and you decide to call and berate them, 
you are still getting a hit. You're getting a rush of endorphins. And, you know, sometimes we continue to hold on to the pain, rehash that story, um, check out their social media because that's our last way of trying to hold on to the relationship. But every time you do that, you're just strengthening those old neural pathways and you're not letting those neural pathways prune away. So the neural pathways, they're neural pathways that you've created together, you and your partner. So would they have mirroring neural pathways or like, what, what does that mean? So it means that, you know, like there it's like, think of it like you have grooves in your brain, right? You've, you've had, um, you know, breakfast together, makeup, sex together, all these things. Those are neural pathways, but when you don't feed them, so after a period of time, and this is why I tell people to completely detox from your ex, those neural pathways start to prune away. Mm-hmm. They're not as strong. But if you keep feeding them, you keep kind of deepening that groove in your brain. Wow. So that's why it's so important to then to, um, to like figure out how you can create new neural pathways. And that's why time is really so important because it really is like the lessening of those neural pathways and the ways in which we try and feed them. Yeah, it's it's interrupting that pattern. Yeah. So I think redirecting your focus into something that's more empowering to you. Um, and that's how you start, you know, when you get those cravings, when you get that withdrawal, this is completely normal. Yeah. And you have to almost plan for it. So the next time, oh my gosh, you're craving, no, like, oh, you know, this is my brain wanting dopamine. It's trying to get that fixed from my drug dealer. I'm not going to go there. I'm I'm instead going to do a state change. I'm going to play up my, you know, Beyonce playlist and I'm going to dance it out. Or I'm going to call my friends who like totally love me. And as you keep doing that, you train yourself to, you know, you, you create new neural pathways and you start strengthening those. And those old ones will automatically start to weaken. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I can imagine people who are either in a relationship or not during a time when we're not able to socialize as normal, all the things this last year, that it's kind of an easy thing to just go into that autopilot to do what you've subconsciously always done and believed, Um, especially when it comes to sex or even self-pleasure. And I loved when you talked about this in the book, just talking about the, the challenges and um, and really taking it into your own hands, because I think especially when you're in a relationship or maybe a new relationship, you depend so much on the other to either meet your needs or guess what you like or impress you in that way. And I just loved how you said you are responsible for your own turn-ons, um, and just empowering people to be that like initiator and really take control in that way. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think that many of us had like real sex education growing up. I know I didn't. My parents would never talk about it. Um, and, you know, you might learn through porn or through what your friends say. And I think there, there's this common idea that it's your partner's job to, you know, make you feel sexy and make you feel these things and make you ultimately feel turned on. But, um, you know, working with different sex educators and like a dominatrix and a tantra teacher, um, I've really learned the more empowering way to approach sexuality is 
have your own sexual practice, you know, be responsible for your own turn on. What are you doing to nurture and love your own body? Are you taking a few moments, you know, in your day, like maybe in the daytime or after you shower where you actually cherish your body and you're, you know, you're in touch with your body, but so often we actually get disassociated from our body. Right. And so how, whether you're single or your couple have your own sexual practice and then have a sexual practice with your partner. But just because, you know, maybe your, your partner's stressed because of the pandemic or whatever's going on. And maybe they're not, you know, asexual instead of being like, Oh my gosh, like I'm not sexy. Like this sucks. Oh my God, this is the end of our relationship. Continue doing your own sexual practice. Um, and I know that for me in those times where I'm like, Oh, like, why can't he be more romantic or why can't he, you know, initiate more or make me feel sexy. I'm like, well, am I doing that for myself right now? I'm, I'm wearing sweatpants every day. I'm not taking care of myself. <laughs> I've stopped meditating. Like I don't even want to be around myself. Like what can I do so that I can like feel empowered to shift my own energy? Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.